Acts 4.31 says, When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we started a sermon series about prayer, and we looked at this story in Acts chapter 4. And I know it's been first of the year and new routines, and so if you're just joining us in this now, welcome. We're glad that you're here with us, and uh, you'll be able to follow right along with our prayer series that we're in the midst of. But something that we have offered to the church and challenged to those here at the church with this Acts 4.31 passage was we invited people to set an alarm at 4.31 every day. And uh, same joke, third week. I only know of one 431 during the day. Some of you know that there's two. I don't know what that's like. But uh, we just set an alarm at 431, and we ask our church to just pray this verse. Pray that the people of First Baptist Church would be filled with the Spirit of God and that we would speak the Word of God boldly to those that we come in contact with. And so that's been going on a few weeks now. I'd love to start hearing some of your stories about maybe when and where your alarm goes off because I know for me, it's been kind of fun. We had a group this week that went to Atlanta, and we were there to get things ready for our windshape camp that's coming to our community in June. And as we were there, Snowmageddon showed up, if you didn't know that. So we, we were there, and all the snow starts falling, and the ice starts coming down, and we get stuck in Atlanta for an extra day. But here's where we found this out. So we're getting done with the conference. We're trying to make our way to the airport. We, we get everybody hurriedly in the van, and they have these shuttles that are taking you. And because our flight was a little later in the afternoon, they asked us to wait for the second set of shuttles, which makes us all nervous. So we're all in the second set of shuttles. We're rushing to get in to the airport. If you've ever had the blessing of traveling through the Atlanta airport, I will tell you that most of the time when you go through the Atlanta airport, you can expect to be delayed. Just It doesn't matter if it's beautiful and sunny and 90 degrees. It just happens in Atlanta. So you can imagine in Snowmageddon what was going on. And uh, there, the Windshape had booked some of our tickets. We had booked some of our tickets on our own. So our group was in two different planes. So the first group, we broke off and started going to our plane. And we're, we're in line. We're waiting. And we get a text message from the other group who happens to be way in line because we cut. We didn't know it, so it doesn't count. But we didn't know that we'd cut from people who were, had already been waiting an hour and a half, and we just cut in line. And they came up to us and went, we've been waiting an hour and a half. <laughs> I'm sorry. And just turned and kind of looked this way the rest of the way, you know. You, you do that. And so we get the text message, and we find out people are waiting. And, and it's kind of chaotic. And all of a sudden we hear, well, their plane's canceled. And we say, well, we're going to wait in line for our plane. Oh, my goodness. What do we do? Now, the line for security had gone out of security, around the atrium, around the restaurants, down back around the other way, across the baggage claim, down one side of baggage claim, across baggage claim, back down the other side of baggage claim, and almost out the door. So I've never seen an airport like that. I've been delayed many times. I've spent the nights in airports before. I've never seen it that crowded. And so we're sitting there with all this going on, and we're trying to figure out what's going on, and right in the middle of it, ding, ding, time to pray. I'm like, time to pray. All right. <laughs> it's a good opportunity to pray. So 4.31, happened to be Eastern time, so it was 3.31 your time, so I was an hour early that day. But we stopped and prayed, and I just thought, man, what a great reminder. In the midst of all this chaos, what's going on, God's still in control. He's bigger than all this. 
And we have an opportunity to still be a light for him even in the midst of this. So we checked our attitudes and smiled a lot and and got home the next day because we didn't get to come home that day, but it was good. So we're continuing this series talking about prayer, learning about prayer. And what I want us to understand today, just to kind of look through this lens of, of just this phrase this morning, God wants me to know his will. You just need to understand that this morning. God wants me to know his will. So many times I think people who are seeking God or even those who have a relationship with Christ come to this place where they go, I don't know how to discern the will of God. I don't know how to understand this. Well, I think we need to take a deep breath. We need to relax and we need to understand that God wants you to know his will. He's not trying to hide it from you. He's not trying to keep it from you. He's not waiting until, you know, you meet certain requirements to be able to reach level seven of his will or anything. It's, it's understanding that God wants you to know his will. And there's, very, there's a very specific reason that God wants you to know his will. He wants you to know his will so you can live it out. He doesn't want you to know his will just so you can believe it. He doesn't want you to know his will just so you can have comfort in knowing it. He wants you to know his will so you can actually live it out. So that's something that we need to understand today. And as we begin to, to look at this story, you're, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 again. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, I talked about the big blue notebook that sits in our pantry. It's a big three-ring binder, and it's our recipe book. It's, it's a cookbook, and in the midst of that, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of recipes that sit in this little blue binder, or big blue binder, in our pantry. But yet somehow, even though there's hundreds of recipes in there, I cook about the same four. You know what I mean? And it's like, what page is this? I keep adding things. It just makes it harder to find the three pages I'm looking for. Where did we move the pancake recipe to? You know what I'm saying? It's just like, where did this go? And it seems we tend to always go back from that. But if, if you can follow this along just a little bit, not only do we tend to go to the same places, but, but sometimes, here's what we need to understand today. Sometimes we have all the ingredients to make an incredible thing in our house, but it doesn't matter until we put them all together and cook it. That's just the bottom line. Sometimes it doesn't matter how many ingredients you have, how all the stuff comes on, until you put it together and actually do something with it. See, so God wants you to know his will so that you can actually live it out. It's not just a matter of knowing his will. It's a matter of saying, okay, now that I know the will of God, I'm going to act on it. I'm going to move. Let's look at this in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. What we've already seen in the book of Acts, we see that the disciples were gathered together with Jesus after the resurrection. And they were on the side of the mountain, and Jesus uh, came to them and, and said, you need to wait for the Holy Spirit to come to you. And then when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to be my witnesses. And so this is the information that they had. And then at that time, Jesus was ascended up into heaven. People came beside the disciples. Angels came beside the disciples and said, why are you standing here? The same Jesus who went to heaven is going to come again. And in essence, you could take that as why are you standing around looking? Go do what he told you to do. And so we pick up the story here in verse 15. And this is what it says. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were together was about 120. Now, a little side note there. Maybe sometimes when you read Scripture, you're thinking, well, there's the, there's the 12 disciples. Well, yeah, there were the 12 who were closest to Jesus, but then there was a group who also was with Jesus in his ministry, followed him around, taught with him teaching, and they were supporting the ministry and being a part of it. And so what it's saying is at this point in history, the number of people who were followers of Jesus after the resurrection who were gathered together, about 120 of them. And in that 120, Peter kind of rose up 
among them. And we pick it up in verse 16. It says, Peter's talking. He says, brothers and sisters, it was necessary that Scripture be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number, and he shared in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell headfirst, his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that in their own language, that field is called Hakeldama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. So this is Peter talking. He continues and says in verse 21, Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. From among these people, it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. Now, why is Peter saying that this is necessary? Because Scripture said so. And so Peter's saying, hey, we see this right here in Scripture. Verse 23. So they proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's hearts. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them. And the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, did you catch that? They cast lots. <laughs> and so some of us see these times in Scripture. Let me just tell you something. I'm not going to go down that road today. But I would encourage you, look at how often in Scripture they come to the decision by casting lots. It's, it's something that's very interesting to look at in Scripture. That's not the direction I want to head this morning, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. But some of us have this picture in our mind going, Lord, we don't know what to do, so... Sevens, let's go seven, you know, we're rolling dice and going, come on, come on, Matthias, you know, we're doing this. But that's not exactly how it worked. But they really were at a decision where they were saying, I want you to catch this, they were saying, God, we, we've come to the place where we know what you want us to do. We know either one of these two men would be good at it, so just help us pick. And they, they gave it to God and they allowed him to pick. And so then they moved on with that. Now, before you think that that's too odd, there's a lot of times that we have situations like that in life. You know, I'm, I'm kind of known in my family for, for being the deal-getter. Um, my, my, my children actually on vacation got to the point where they would just kind of roll their eyes. I bought every one of my children a roll-on um, suitcase so that they had their stuff with them. And then the suitcase we packed to go on vacation went ahead. Because if they're going to bump me on a plane and give me a few hundred dollars to sit around for a little bit in the airport, I'm taking it. Because I can't afford a whole lot of vacations, but you keep giving me money for them, I keep taking them. And so we had done this for a few years to a point where we had built up some, some money. And we're sitting around one day, and, and we had taken some really nice vacations. And we're sitting around one day trying to decide, okay, these vouchers run out on this day. We need to take a vacation by there. Hey, kids, where y'all want to go? We couldn't decide. Now, what an awesome problem to have. We have everywhere in the world that we could choose for a vacation, and we couldn't decide. That is a rough, rough situation, isn't it? But we had, we had airline tickets and vouchers where we could do that. And so here's how we decided. Everybody in the family wrote down three places they would like to go on vacation. We put them in a hat, shook it around, said, Rebecca, draw one out. And we went to San Diego on vacation. Awesome, huh? That was great. Had a great time in San Diego. Went over July 4th, saw fireworks over the Navy Pier and all this type of stuff. It was a great time. But, you know, some of us would be in this place. You would still try to be decide where to go on vacation. 
you would have no idea how to make this decision. I've got all these options in front of me. I don't know, I don't know what to do. And well, if we do this one, this person's going to be mad. And if we do this one, this person's going to be mad. I don't, I don't know how to do this. Sometimes you just got to make a decision. You just go. Sometimes there's just not a bad choice in this. And to be quite honest with you, they had two men who were godly men. They were good. They could have done the job. And they came to a point and said, we're going to pick one of them. We're going to go with this. And that's what they did. We're going to talk a little bit more about how we get to being able to make decisions like that and the role that prayer plays in helping us make decisions. But I want you to understand this. Not only does God want me to know his will, you need to see this this morning. I find God's will revealed in the Bible. I find God's will revealed in the Bible. You see in this story that Peter stood up among the believers and he said, well, look, God's word already told us about this situation. We knew that this was coming. We, we see what happened to Judas, that it was spoken about by the prophets, and we see now that God says in his word that somebody's supposed to take his place. So we know that we have to do this. Now, this is a great thing to understand. I find God's will revealed in the Bible. That means there are some things in God's word that you don't have to pray real long about them. You can read them and understand that God wants me to do this, and you pray and you go. And that's exactly what happened in this situation. They said, look, we're supposed to pick someone to take the place. We need to gather it up together. We need to pray, and we need to go, and this is what they did. You want to know God's will better. You want to understand how to discern God's will. If you've ever felt like you're stuck and you just don't know what to do, and God, how am I supposed to follow you? Here's the, here's the secret formula today, and it's not really a secret. If you want to better be able to discern the will of God, start by doing what his word says. That's it. Start by doing what God's word says. If God's word tells you how to handle your finances, handle them that way. If God's word tells you how to live in relationship with one another, live that way. If God's word directs you on how you're supposed to pray or how you're supposed to go or whatever, you just do it that way. And you will begin to discern the will of God. That's exactly what Peter said. Look, this is, this is not hard. We see in scripture that we're supposed to do these things. Let's do it. Let's get on with this. They spent their time figuring out how to do God's will, not how to figure out God's will, because it had already been revealed. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, yeah, Lyndall, but there's not a section in Scripture that talks about the things that are going on in my life. Peter had that where he was talking about these type of things. I promise you, if you'll just do what it says, you'll start figuring out your life a whole lot better, because God's Word gives us that type of direction. They saw the words of God that said, let someone else take his position, and they acted on it, and they did. See, here's what happens for us is a lot of times in prayer, we have, and listen to me on this, a lot of times in prayer, we have a pattern of indecision. You get caught in a pattern of indecision in prayer. It, it, sometimes it looks like this. God, I know you're wanting me to do these things, and I just want to come to you. I want to pray about these things. You'll help me do these things. Amen. Okay, I'm going to go and do whatever I want to do. And then uh, tomorrow I'm going to come back and go, God, I know your word's telling me to do these things, and that I'm supposed to follow you in this way, and, and God, I, I need to be living this out. And I'm going to go over here and do whatever I want to do. And we come back to God in prayer. God, I don't know. I just feel like I can't find you today. And I, he's going, I haven't moved. You just haven't done what's obvious right here in Scripture for us to be doing. So sometimes in prayer we have this pattern of indecision. And let me just tell you something. You don't have to pray continually about doing something that God's Word tells you to do. You do not have to spend days and years and months in prayer about should I do this or not. If God's word says do it, do it. And that's what Peter did in this situation. So how do we get to that point where we can do that? Well, here's a trick. I must learn 
to view my life through the lens of the Bible, not the other way around, okay? I have to learn, learn, I have to learn, which means I'm probably doing something else and I need to learn a different approach to this. I have to learn to view my life through the lens of the Bible and not the other way around. Well, pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, the truth is, is that so many times in life we come into difficult situations and we really want to honor God with the bottom of our heart. We're in a sincere place. We want to know what to do. But we approach making a decision like this. We say, God, I see what my situation is. I understand what my past is. I understand what my experience says. So can you show me something in here that tells me what to do? And we're looking through the lens of our past and our situation and our experience, and we're trying to find something here instead of flipping it around. When we flip it around, we say, God, I know what your word says to do, and I know what's going on over here, but here's what we're going to do. I'm going to trust you in your word, and I'm going to start living this out. And the more that you begin to live out even the little, the simple things that God tells you to do in here, then the other things in life start becoming clearer and clearer. You have to first Go with what the Bible says, and then you will be shown the path that you're supposed to take in your life, not the other way around. Now, if you have trouble understanding what I'm saying, let me put it in a, in a, in a pretty practical illustration. It has taken me 46 years to grow this gut, okay? And if I continue to eat without changing any habits, it's going to continue to head in this direction. But if tomorrow I get up and eat a salad and go, I ate a salad, all is healed. I'm still going to have this with me for quite some time until I grow a habit of eating correctly and maybe exercising a little more until I get my body in more shape where it needs to be. It doesn't happen in a one-time shot. And a lot of times we see it this way. God, I've been living my way however I wanted to for so long, and hey, I want to do this right this one time. Everything didn't fix. What's going on? You have to continually make a pattern of saying, I'm going to live my life through the lens of what God's Word says. And God's Word tells me how to handle my relationships. It tells me how to handle my employment. It tells me how to handle my marriage. It tells me how to handle my finances. As a matter of fact, it starts with the greatest commandment. If you don't know what to do, you just start there. Greatest commandment when Jesus was asked, said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. You want to get something right, start there. I'm going to even tell you this. You don't have to pray about that one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. God, do you want me to do that? He's already said he wants us to do that. We don't have to pray about that. We just have to do that. And that's where you start. Once you begin doing what God's called you to do, then other things become clearer. As a matter of fact, James 1.22 puts it this way. Be, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. So that's what it means. If we're, if we're just hearing it all, if we're just taking it all in, but we're not doing it, we're deceiving ourselves. We're not really the person we think we are. Because the truth is this. I am invited to live out God's will. Put that in your notes. I am invited to live out God's will. Every person who can hear me preach this message, you are invited to live out God's will. God created you. He has a plan for you. He loves you. Sin broke that plan from the, from the original plan, but God sent Jesus Christ to pay the sacrifice for our sins so that we can have a renewed and restored relationship with God. And then you are invited from that point in time to begin living out God's will. You find it beginning in the word of God, and then he continues to lead you through that relationship with him to live out God's will. 
That's what we're created to do, live this stuff out. But a lot of us get stuck. And I want to I paint this picture for you this morning. There are a lot of people who I, I want you to follow me on this. A lot of people don't know how to follow through with a decision. Some people even struggle making decisions. And I want to put this picture in your mind of, of even in a Christian setting of what this looks like. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this. I believe in some ways, I'm going to be careful about going down this slippery slope, but I believe in some ways even churches and pastors at times have done a disservice to people by the way that we present following God's will. Because sometimes we say, well, you need to pray and you need to ask Jesus in your heart. You need to make a decision for him. You need to believe in Christ. And when you do that, he comes in your heart and then you're saved. All of everything that I said is very, very true. Very, very true. And I hope that you've made that decision to follow Christ. But you probably know, and I know some people who I know have come to a point in their life where they have made a very sincere decision to follow Jesus Christ. Where they have said, I, I want to give my life to him. I've asked him into my heart. But for some reason, we look at some people who've made that decision, and then they're, just, they're not living it out. And we see a disconnect between what they say they believe and what's actually going on in their life. You probably know some people like that. Maybe even you're struggling with that. But I will tell you the difference is this, is we are invited to live out God's will. We're not only invited to believe in Jesus, but we're invited to believe in Jesus so that we can live out God's will. If we're not going to do something with what we believe, then what good is it believing it? You see, so many of us have fallen into this trap that there's this chasm in our brain between what we believe and what actually goes on during the week. And we don't know how to connect those two things. And so I believe from the bottom of my heart that there are people who've had a very sincere decision to say, I want to follow Christ, I want to ask him into my heart, but they're not living that out. And I believe that one day when, when this life is over, if they never figure that out and do that, that if they've made that sincere decision in their heart, that they're going to be in heaven with Christ, but they're going to miss out on living life on this planet, and they're going to miss out on what heaven could really even be like because Scripture talks to us about doing things in this life that store up treasure in heaven as well, that the two are related, and they're going to miss out on actually living these things out. They're going to get there, but they're not going to get there like everybody else. And I want to get there in a way that God wants me to get there. So I want to talk to us this morning about something that may seem very basic, but I think it's very important, and it's this. How do I make a decision? How do I make a decision? And why is this important? Because let's just be honest, some people in here struggle making decisions. All of us have something in our brain that, that we, we tend to fall in one of these four categories when it comes to decision making. And I'll go ahead and admit I'm in the first one I'm going to pick on us. Some of us need to slow down a little bit and quit making decisions so fast. All right? Because some of us are born decision makers. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Get this done. Let's go, let's go over here, let's go over here. And some of us it would be good for us to slow down a little bit and maybe consider a little bit more of what other people are feeling or thinking and stuff like that. But God wired some of us to be able to do that. These are the people you want around when crisis is going on. I can guarantee that. Because when everybody's going, I don't know what to do, we're going like you're seven steps behind. Come on, let's get this thing going. Let's, let's go. So there's some people who are wired like that. Some people are wired to overanalyze everything. Don't look at your neighbor right now, okay, if that's your Some of us are like, I don't have enough information. Okay, I need more information. All right, I just got to figure this one other thing out. I can't really decide yet. I, got, I need some more information. Oh, I don't know really about this yet. I need more information. It's like, make a decision. You've got enough information. And some of us are just constantly seeking more and more information. You got to figure out that, look, I, I need to make a decision and go. Now, some of us, and this is going to sound, you're going to go, I can't believe the pastor said that. Some of you care too much about what other people think. 
Some of us are wired in such a way that we're paralyzed from making a decision because we are so concerned. We want to make sure with everybody that they're going to be okay with this decision. Okay, I'm about to make this decision. Are you okay with that? Okay, good. I'm about to make this decision. Are you okay with that? Okay, good. I'm about to make this decision. Are you okay? Okay, we'll wait. Are you okay yet? No, I'm fine. Are you okay yet? No, thank you. All right, awesome. And, and we never can make that decision. Now listen to me. God puts you on this planet for a reason, to slow people like me down, okay? And that's good. But you need to understand that the essence of making a decision is making a decision. And that when you make a decision, not everybody's going to be happy. When, when your choices are, I've got to make the decision of whether we're going to have chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream at the fellowship, and you choose vanilla, and everybody knew that you could have chose chocolate, they'd make a chocolate campaign, and they're mad at you, and they go, I can't believe you didn't do chocolate. What's he got against chocolate? It's this. And over here at the same time, I'm going, would you just be quiet? You get ice cream, don't you? Just eat your ice cream. You know, you're, you're, you're trying to be happy. But the essence, of, the essence of making a decision means that you're going to make a choice that not necessarily everybody's going to agree with. Let's pause for a little bit. What do you think Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, thought about their decision to choose Matthews? You th I'm sure he was okay, honestly. But I'm sure there's a little part of him who went, why not me? Why couldn't you pick me? And I guarantee if there were 120 people in the room, there are at least 15 or 20 of them going up to, I, I think they should have picked you. I think you're much better than Matthews. I mean, I can't believe they would have done this. And so you got to understand that there's a certain point in time where you got to make a decision, and it's not going to make everybody feel good. But you've got to learn how to make the decision. And then there's this last thing that some people just want everything in life to be fun, and that keeps them from making difficult decisions in life. Well, I'm going to make this decision, but that's not fun for everybody, so oh, I'm not going to make this decision. Well, somebody else needs to make this decision because oh, it's not going to be real fun. But if we get to make the fun decision, then, hey, I'm all in on this decision. But sometimes we're, we're, we back off of these for this way. Let me, let me just say this. Um, my wife and I make decisions differently. How about that? Is that a politically correct way to say that, where I can still talk to my wife this afternoon? Amen. Let me give you a, a classic example of this, and it's when Timothy was still in the womb about to be born. And it's one of something that Julie and I talk about all the time and we laugh at. We, I, I process quickly. I, I tend to think on my feet. Over time, God has put people around me that have helped me slow down a little bit, consider some more things, and you're thankful for that even though you don't know that. I just thought I would tell you that. But when Timothy was on his way, I remember sitting in the doctor's office, and, and he's breech. We're about one week before due date, and he's breech. And here's the scene. Julie's sitting on the table. While the doctor and I are looking at it, I go, well, he's breached. Well, what do we need to do about that? Well, we probably need to take him now. Cesarean check me out. It's probably going to be a C-C. Okay, well, when do you want to do that? Well, how about 6 today? I'm going, all right, 6 o'clock today. We can probably get home and get back. I can call everybody. We can do that. You good with that? Yeah, okay. We'll get, all right, all right. We'll go. We'll be back. And so we're packing up, and I'm taking Julie. She has not said a word. She has not said a word. She's kind of walking, walking out pregnant, poor thing. It's just like, all right. We're in the car. She's not said a word. We've got about a 15-minute drive home. We get about halfway home, and she just goes, thank you. I went, what? She goes, I would have had no idea what to do. But you see, God put some people on this earth whose processor goes, and God put some people on this earth whose processor goes, okay, I'm having a baby. I need to make a decision now about what we're, you see what I'm saying? Sometimes processors move slower. But we laugh about that all the time because she honestly was going, 
I'm glad you made that decision. I'm glad this is happening now. I'd have been stressed out about it if we had been waiting a week. I'd have been worried if this would have happened. I'd have been worried if this happened. So we, we did that. So you have to understand that the essence of making a decision is making a choice. And so let's talk about how we make a decision. The first step in making a decision is you gather information. You gather information. Now, all of you who are analytical, who like to gather information, you just took a deep breath, you smiled, and you said, I love my pastor. That's it. Okay? But here's the deal. You don't have to overgather information. Peter set some parameters. We got to replace this person. It needs to be somebody who's been with us from the baptism of John to the ascension of Jesus Christ. Let's gather some people together. Who do we have available? Here we go. He gathered information. He probably got the two together. Were you here for the baptism of John? Yes, tell me about that. Where were you? What was going on? Okay, great. Have you walked with us this whole way? What are your thoughts, feelings? Think? Great. Okay, Matthias, where have you? Were you here with us? On the, okay, great. And we're gathering information, and we're doing this. And that's the first step is gathering information. The reason sometimes we tend to overgather information is because we have a fear of making a wrong decision. And we think that if somehow we can get one more piece of information, it may take that fear away. Can I just tell you something? There's fear in making every decision in the world. And you're not going to gather enough information most of the time to take all the fear out of making a decision. So you have to gather an appropriate amount of information. Now, I'm going to say something else that's going to make you uncomfortable. But again, my wife and I have talked about this all the time. Every time I do a wedding, and I'm talking, I make it a real clear point to talk to the couple before, and I actually say it in the message for the wedding, is that these people are here today because they're making a choice. And they could have chosen somebody else. And sometimes people in the room go, oh, my gosh, can you say that? Because they have this feeling that there's somehow this magical, mystical thing that there's only one created for me and this. Can I just be honest with you? Julie could have chose someone else, probably done a little bit better, but she didn't, okay? And I chose her and hit the jackpot. That was awesome, okay? I won the lottery on that one. But the truth is we could have both chosen someone else. But we made a decision. And in making that decision and continuing to choose to make that decision and follow through, that's that commitment. That's that thing that actually I think makes it, makes it more special. And if you want to follow my pattern of, of gathering information, I gathered information before. It's called dating, Okay. Gathered information on this girl, nope. Gathered information on this girl, nope. Gathered information, got to Julie and went, yeah, there we go. I like this one. But the truth is we could have made different choices, and you need to understand that. And actually, I think it makes your marriage more special to know that after 27 years, I still wouldn't have changed my mind. Now, I can tell you this. There were some rough years, and we didn't know that we were going to make it through everything, and that's just the truth about it. But it is a choice. You gather the information, you make a decision. Let me tell you another, another place that I see this all the time. 17 years, I did student ministry. And in student ministry, every year I would deal with a group of people who were graduating high school and they're getting ready to go to college. And these are the ones that made me laugh. Some kids would come to me and go, I've got a scholarship here, and I've got a scholarship here, and I've got a scholarship here, and I just don't want to mess up. Where should I go? And I would look at them and I'm like, man, it's like God has laid a buffet out and he just wants you to eat. Would you just pick one and go? But their fear is, well, if I pick the wrong place, somehow I'm going to derail the will of God for all of mankind. And I know I say that exaggerating, but that's the honest feeling that overwhelms some people sometimes. They go, man, if I go to the wrong place and then I go down the wrong, you need to let this go. 
Sometimes God just puts some things before you and says, gather the information and make a decision and let's go. Our decision is not going to alter the will of God. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. Sometimes God says, you can choose Justice, or you can choose Matthias, and I'm good with either one, and we're just going to, let's just go. The ministry can happen with either way. And that's what I really feel like it was. There were two good men, and God just said, we're going to do this one. So you gather the information that you, you need. Try not to overgather information, and then, then you pray, okay? You pray about this. Now, I've already said there are certain things and certain decisions where you don't have to pray very long. You go to God first, though. Let me, let me help you understand why you go to God first. Every one of us needs to learn that we gather information, and the first place we take that information is we take it to God in prayer. Because let's, let's get this in our mind. I view the world through a broken processor. Okay? You view the world through a broken processor. Because God made us, in perfection, but when sin entered the world, that was distorted. And I have sinned, and you have sinned, and because of that, we don't process everything 100% correctly all the time. And so God, in his perfection, gave us his word, he gave us his guide here, and he speaks to us in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, and he does that in perfection. Now, you have to understand that if we're listening to perfection through a broken filter, that there are going to be times that God leads us to do things that don't make sense because they don't compute. Perfection does not compute in brokenness at times. And that's where we apply our faith and our trust in God. And we say, God, I don't understand it. I don't see it. But I'm going to trust you in your perfection, and I'm going to do it the way that you tell me to do it. And that's the reason we need to learn to pray and go to God first because our tendency is to want to go to other people and go, well, what do you think about this decision? Well, what do you think about this decision? But do you understand that multiplying broken filters can sometimes make a decision very hard? My filter's broken and I'm trying to discern what God's telling me to do. So I'm going to take it over to this other broken filter. And what they're going to do is they're going to bring all their life experience and all their all their perceptions and all their thing, and they're going to start applying it to my life, which they don't really know everything about, and then they're going to give me a decision. And sometimes that's helpful, and sometimes it's more confusing. And then, well, I didn't like what they said, so I'm going to go to this other person. And so we, we multiply all these broken filters together, and we go, I don't know how to make a decision. You pray. You go to the one that says, here is what you do. And you don't have to pray, again, for an inappropriate amount of time when you're following God's word. Well, what do you mean with that, Pastor? Well, let's just be honest. There are some things that need minutes of prayer, and there are some things that need months of prayer. And I can't possibly sit up here in a few minutes and discern everything that's going on in your life. I don't want you to flippantly walk out of this place like I've given you some magic formula to make a decision and things that really need some other consideration. You just go, well, we've got five minutes. Let's, let's apply the pastors of sermon today. This, 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 we should do this. That's not what I'm saying. But there are some things in life where we get stuck because we just don't understand that I don't have to pray very long when God's word tells me to love my neighbor as myself and I have the opportunity to do that. I don't have to pray about that very long. I just do that. And the more that we learn to act and live what God's word says, then the faster we're going to be able to make even bigger decisions in our life because we're going to grow more of a faith and more of a trust in God. But that begins by going to God in prayer before we go to anywhere else. Now, did I just say we shouldn't go to other people? I did not. 
I just said you have to understand that every person you ask their opinion on is bringing all of their life experience into your decision. Sometimes that's incredibly valuable. Sometimes it's incredibly harmful. Because if they've been through a horrible thing and you're about to go through that horrible thing and they haven't processed it or healed or anything, then they're just going to throw toxin all over your decision. But maybe if that person's been through it and God's seen them through it and they're in a better place, they could possibly look at you and say, hey, you just need to hold on. This is going to be okay. God's going to see you through. You see what I'm saying? First place you need to go is prayer. So you gather information and you pray. And I'm about to tell you the most incredible thing that you've ever heard in the history of time. You ready? Take action. (laughs) Thank you, Pastor Obvious. We appreciate that. But how you make a decision, it's not just about gathering information, and it's not just about praying, it's about taking action. And I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. I know a lot of people that I've run across in life who's gathered information about the person of Jesus Christ, and they've come to a point where they've made a decision. They've asked Christ in their heart, they've prayed, and, and, and they've reached that far. But here's the truth, they've never taken action. They've never moved it beyond that. And that's where the fun begins. That's where things begin to happen. And I'll just say this. When we started this series on prayer, one of the things I've said to the church is this, is that I don't have an end goal in mind. What I feel like God has laid on my heart to share with you as a church is this, is that you just need to have some freedom. You need to quit looking for other sources or permission or other things that people are doing for you to act on what God is leading you to do. If you, have, if you are in a right place with God, you are seeking information from his word, and you are praying about that, then you just need to be acting on that. One of the things I said briefly last week was this. God's not going to give you a vision for somebody else to accomplish. If, if you are walking around this world and you see something that stirs your heart and says, man, there's something wrong with that, something needs to be done, that's the Holy Spirit probably speaking to you to say, well, good, I've wired you to go do something about it. Now go do something about it. So you have to begin to take action in this. And I know a lot of us have fear about taking that action because we think, well, what if I mess something up? What if I get something wrong? What if I make this work? Okay, I'm going to give you a verse. You ready? Romans 8, 28. Some of you may know this verse. Some of you may not. Romans 8, 28 says this. We know that in all things, in how many things? All things. God works together for the good. For the what? For the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So let me just say this. When you are in a right place where you are loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength the best that you know how, and you are seeking to love your neighbor as yourself, and God is putting things on your heart for you to do and act, then you need to pray about them, but you need to act on them. You need to get going. And what I feel like God is wanting to do through this series is just give you freedom. Just say, go live. Go do what God's called you to do. You don't need someone else to pave the way for you. You can do what God has called you to do. Because, again, his will is not hidden. He wants you to know and live his will. And so that's the role of prayer that we see here in this passage is that they didn't have to in this particular decision, go through a whole lot of things. It was real obvious. God's word has spoken clearly on this. Let's just be honest. All of us probably know some things where God's word has spoken clearly about, but we're just not doing those things. Start there. Whether it be faith, whether it be finances, whether it be relationships, whether it be 
anything like that. If you know that God's word is spoken clearly, we need to start doing that. And so the disciples said, well, God's word spoken clearly on this. Let's, let's gather some information, appropriate amount of information. So let's get people who've been with us from John's up to the ascension, and let's get this together. They gathered it together, and they prayed, and they acted, and they got moving with, God, with what God wanted them to do. And so I just want to offer to you today the opportunity Take action on what it is that God is leading you to do. That's the role of prayer at times. It's just to say, God, I know your word's clear. Just help me go and do this. You know, if we're truly praying as a church, Acts 4.31, every day at 4.31, that we would be filled with the spirit of God so that we could speak the word of God boldly. You realize that's you, right? That every day there's hundreds of people praying for you and praying for me, that we would be a light in this community. You don't have to think about that. If God gives you an opportunity to speak the word of God boldly, you can do that. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're a biblical scholar or a biblical idiot. It doesn't matter. If God's put it on your heart, you can share a message of hope and the gospel with those around you if you will take that. I want to ask